Hi, everyone. Today's Bible passage is 1 Samuel chapter 7, page number 277. Verses 2 through 17. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained in Kiriath Jerin, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths, and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel was leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard the Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and drew them out into such a panic that they were rooted before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Kar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel territory again. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines, the towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to her, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory before the power of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as judge over Israel all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he, he also judged Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. Amen. Um, and I'm going to pray for us as we start. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word uh, to us. Uh, thank you that it uh, not only speaks to, uh, uh, speak to the Israelites back then, but it also speaks to us today. Uh, we pray that as we delve into 1 Samuel chapter 7, that you would help us to see the truth of your word and how that applies to us uh, in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What does true repentance look like? Repentance is a very Christian word that we use in church a lot, and we might not always grasp what it actually means. Uh, we might not fully grasp what it actually looks like to fully repent. 
And I know that's certainly true of me uh, sometimes. Well, in Mark's gospel, Jesus begins his earthly mission by saying this in chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus calls us to repent as one of the ways we should rightfully respond to his good news. And it's an attitude that we should live out as Christians throughout our lives. Jesus tells us that we all need to repent, uh, and we need it urgently, because he warns us of God's coming judgment one day. This is why repentance is so central to the Christian message. The gospel is good news, because Jesus has saved us uh, from our sins. Uh, And so his call to repentance is based off this gracious gift of forgiveness. Uh, And we're called to bear this fruit uh, by keeping on uh, living a repentant lifestyle as a Christian. So what does true repentance look like? Our passage today is going to provide us an answer to this question. Uh, We're going to see how Israel took the right actions to wholeheartedly repent. Uh, And we're going to look through our passage under four Uh, headings that should be on the notice sheet um, you were given as you came in. The first, uh, turning from idols. The second, uh, turning to God. The third, depending on God's deliverance. And the fourth, remembering God's kindness. So firstly then, true repentance means turning from idols. Turning from idols. Samuel tells Israel, They need to put away their idols wholeheartedly. And that's their first step in truly repenting. And we see this in our passage starting from verse 2. So look down with me at verse 2, and let's read that together. Verse 2 says this. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Kirath-Jerim, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, you are, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Asheroths and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines. So verse 2 explains uh, Israel's response to God's ark returning to Israel. Previously, in chapters 4 to 6, at four to six, uh, the ark had been captured by Israel's enemies, the Philistines, uh, because of their attitude towards God at the time. Instead of relying on God uh, and trusting in him, they treated God as more of a lucky charm uh, who would bring them good fortune in battle. But that's not how it works. And so Israel pay the consequences. Uh, they endure heavy losses and lose the ark, uh, a symbol of God departing from Israel. But in verse 2 of our passage, uh, with the ark now returned, Israel mourn. Despite the good news, uh, despite the return of the ark of God, Israel is filled with sorrow and grief. And not for a short time either. For, For a full 20 years, they sought after the Lord. So why aren't they full of joy? Well, since the ark has left Israel and returned... Israel has, gone, uh, has grown a longing for the Lord. They have grown a heartfelt desire for him. Um, but it's clear that this heartfelt desire wasn't enough to truly repent. Um, Israel experiencing sorrow uh, was just an emotional response 
without taking any physical action to change, because they still continue to worship idols during those 20 years instead of serving God. So the prophet Samuel, who has actually been silent for the last three chapters, he steps in, finally speaks, and he tells them this. Uh, he tells them in verse 3 that firstly, they need to wholeheartedly uh, turn away from their idols. He tells them to put away and get rid of their Baal and Ashroth worship. Uh, so these were the idols of the nations around them at the time uh, that they worshipped because they were thought to provide what they needed, uh, food and harvest. And so if Israel were to truly repent and turn back to God, those idols needed to go. Well, either we worship God or we don't. There's no grey area in between. Today, if we aren't trusting in Jesus, that means we're worshipping something else in his place. Uh, Our hearts are like idol factories. Uh, They need something to worship. And so if it's not God, then something else uh, is going to produce something else to take his place. So as Christians, we need to be on our guard. We need to keep asking ourselves uh, the question, who or what am I serving instead of the Lord? And put them away. So what kind of idols do we have today? They aren't always obvious to us. Uh, Sometimes they can become more subtle. Uh, Perhaps uh, they are feelings of uh, being successful, uh, staying comfortable, that feeling of always being in control or seeking the approval of others. Idols affects everyone here, uh, whether you're a Christian or not. Uh, We rely on something and we worship it. We devote our time in order to find satisfaction in it. Yet these idols cannot complete us. Um, They cannot give us meaning, purpose, and significance that we seek. Uh, They cannot satisfy us. So we need to answer Jesus' call to repentance and put those idols away. Samuel shone a light onto Israel's sin and idol worship, and Israel truly repented by turning away from their idols. And we see their response in verse 4. Let's read that together. Verse 4 says this. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashroths and served the Lord only. With their genuine desire for the Lord, Israel listened to Samuel's words and turned away from their idols to turn to God and serve him only. That leads us on to our second point this evening, that true repentance means turning to God. Turning to God. So after turning from their idols, Israel turned to God and served him and him only. And we see more detail of this in verses 5 and 6 of our passage. Let's read that together. Uh, Look down with me at verse 5. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted, And they confessed, uh, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel was leader of Israel at Mizpah. So the whole of Israel gathered before God at Mizpah. Now Mizpah was a significant location throughout the book of Judges, uh, sort of set right before 1 Samuel. Um, And it's where Israel previously gathered before the Lord. And so here uh, at Mizpah, Israel is humble, open, and honest before God. 
They pray to God, confessing their sins before him. Israel fasts before God, a sign that they recognize the seriousness of their sin and how evil it is before God. And Israel pour out water before God, a sign of their dependence on him, and that without him, they have nothing, and they are in serious danger. Here, Israel is not expecting God's mercy, but instead they're seeking God, hopefully. They're hoping that their wholehearted repentance won't be in vain, because Samuel is praying to the Lord for them. Now, sometimes we might think that if we've sinned too badly, that God won't listen to us. And I know that I've felt that before. But as Christians, we have a better Samuel. We have Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us. Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest, um, who provides us a way of truly turning to God um, and confess our sins before him. So believe and trust in Jesus, because he not only shows us our need to repent, he also pays for our sins in order that we can find forgiveness with God. We therefore need to wholeheartedly repent and rely on Jesus. Now our hearts are like idol factories because they need something to worship, and so if it's not God, then something else will take his place. Therefore, if we turn from idols, we need to turn to God. We need to fill that worship void we've created, um, but this time with one who is actually worthy of our worship, who gives us satisfaction, meaning, purpose, um, and significance. As Jesus provides us a way back to God, then we need to rely on him uh, to wholeheartedly repent and turn to God. But we need to make sure we do this uh, truly. Uh, Before, in chapter 4, the people of Israel simply tried to use God for their own means, for their own gain. Israel tried to use God as a lucky charm to give them uh, what they wanted. Um, We might find that that's a trap we fall into as well, and I know I do sometimes. So when uh, when you say... uh, uh, Sorry. Yeah. So sometimes you might say to Jesus that, I want your salvation, Jesus. I want your forgiveness. But you, no, you can be absent. I'd much rather rely on my own success and comfort. But that's not the right attitude uh, we should have towards God. Uh, We shouldn't be trying to use him for our own gain. Just see how that worked out uh, for the Israelites in chapter 4 in your own time. Instead, we need to answer Jesus' call to truly repent putting away our idols, and wholeheartedly turning to God. This is the right attitude that Israel needed to uh, simply uh, receive God's mercy in in, uh, him delivering them. Because repentance isn't just dealing with past sins, uh, it's also about the future. It's also about making sure that we don't slip back to where we once were. That leads to our third point this evening, that true repentance means depending on God's deliverance. Depending on God's deliverance. With Israel having the right uh, repentant attitude, that uh, they received God's mercy uh, through being delivered from an immediate danger because they depended on God and not themselves. 
And we see this in verse four of our passage, uh, sorry, verse seven of our passage. Let's read verse seven together. Look down with me. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, uh, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of this, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up before, uh, offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. The consequence of their repentance is not exactly what we'd expect immediately. Uh, it's actually an attack from the Philistines. Um, it looks like a repeat of chapter 4, where Israel fought against the Philistines and lost twice, um, in almost the exact same place as we are here in chapter 7. So we might be thinking that this is just going to be another repeat of chapter 4, another absolute bloodbath. But this time, there's a difference. In chapter 4, Israel considered uh, the Ark of God uh, to be uh, their lucky charm in their fight against the Philistines. But now in chapter 7, Israel have humbled themselves before God. Uh, they now trust and depend in the Lord. They rely on their one weapon of prayer through their high priest, the prophet Samuel. But notice that Samuel doesn't just pray for them. Uh, he offers a sacrifice, a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Samuel knows that Israel needs more than they're asking for. They need to have their relationship made right with God. And that for this, they need more than just repentance. So Samuel offers a suckling lamb to the Lord to make atonement for the sins of Israel. The right action of Israel's high priest in order that they might have a restored relationship with God. For us, Jesus is our high priest, who not only calls us to repent, but also provides us the sacrifice we need to have that restored relationship with God. He himself became our sacrificial lamb on the cross to atone for our sins. A sacrifice that was enough to pay once for all sins. And when Samuel cried out to the Lord uh, on Israel's behalf, the narrator tells us that the Lord answered Samuel. And we see how the Lord answered him uh, in verse 10 in the story that immediately follows. Shall we read that together? Uh, verse 10. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with a loud thunder uh, against the Philistines and threw them into such panic that they were rooted before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Car. Simply put, Israel depend on God and God mercifully delivers them. Israel win the fight because they depend on the Lord. And so for us, uh, temptations will come to us this week. Temptations to turn away from God uh, and, and instead relying on ourselves instead of him, just like how Israel were in back, back in chapter 4. So how are we going to respond?
Well, we need to be prepared. We need to stay on our guard. We need to go straight to God for his strength and deliverance rather than relying on ourselves. Israel went to God through Samuel. And today as Christians, we go to God through Jesus Christ, our high priest and our sacrifice. And now through him, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Personally, we might be finding it hard to be a Christian today. Hardships in life can make it really difficult to trust and depend on God. And if that's how you're feeling tonight, I'm really sorry to hear that. Um, I'm sure it's really tough, and I can't imagine what that's like. Jesus may not promise us uh, to be delivered from those hardships now, but on the cross, he has rescued us from our biggest problem of sin. And we can now persevere as Christians uh, by continuing to repent Because we have a hope in the day when Jesus comes, uh, promises to come to restore and uh, set all things right again. So we need to keep doing this. Um, It's not just a one-off. We need to keep coming back to God and relying on him. But if you're anything like me, uh, you forget to. I know I'm very forgetful. um, And human beings probably aren't the best at remembering things. So we need to have a reminder of this truth. And so that leads us to our fourth and final point for this evening, that true repentance means remembering God's kindness. Remembering God's kindness. In response to God's deliverance, Samuel sets up a monument to the Lord in the same place Israel had previously lost uh, against the Philistines to remind Israel of the kindness that God had shown them. And we see this in our passage from verse 12. Let's look down at verse 12 together. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. Here Samuel is making sure that Israel never forget what God has done for them. Uh, If they're going to continue in their repentance, one of the ways they're going to do so is through remembering uh, what the Lord has done for them. God mercifully forgave them. And God answered their prayers by delivering them from the Philistines. And as Christians, we have our own version of Ebenezer, the cross. Although it's not a physical monument that we can see and we can look to like a stone, the cross acts as a constant reminder of the kindness God showed to us in dying in our place. This is why we focus on Jesus and the cross every Sunday. Um, Because we need to be constantly reminded of what God has done in mercifully delivering us in order that we can continue to repent and rely on him. As Martin Luther very helpfully put it, the whole life of a believer is repentance. So every time uh, we remember the cross, we should be reminded of the promises the Lord has made to us and hear that call to repentance. Every time we take communion together as a church family, we should again remember the deliverance that Jesus has mercifully achieved for us and hear that call to repentance. If you're with us this evening and don't consider yourself to be a Christian, uh, can I just say, uh, can I just encourage you that it'd be great if you can 
take the time to consider uh, the person of Jesus Christ. Samuel, in our passage this evening, is just a small shadow of Jesus and what he did for us, uh, delivering us from our serious problem of sin by dying on the cross. So why not answer his call to repent and believe the good news? Why not consider putting away the things in our lives that we rely on instead of God? Because we know that they never truly satisfy us. So turn to God and depend on him. So this is what true repentance looks like. It looks like, number one, turning from idols. Number two, turning to God. Number three, depending on God's deliverance. And number four, uh, remembering God's kindness. So it's worth thinking and reflecting, does our repentance look like what we've seen in our passage today? If not, we need to wholeheartedly repent by relying on God's deliverance and remembering his kindness, because God mercifully delivers uh, wholehearted repentant sinners who turn from idols to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the mercy uh, that you have graciously given to us uh, by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross in our place. We pray that knowing that good news and remembering it uh, week by week, that you would help us to turn from our idols uh, and turn to you. We pray that you would shine a light on those idols to us and that you would give us the strength to continue to repent uh, as we live out our Christian lives, honouring to you. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for um, all of your questions. And we've got, some, uh, yeah, we've got some really good ones in here. So I'm going to kick off um, with... Oh, I'm going to surprise you, Leon. <laughs> I'll kick off with this one. Um, would you say humility is a prerequisite for repentance? Is sorrow not enough if we are still self-centered and proud? Yeah, I think so. So um, we saw in our passage that um, Israel were sort of having that emotion of being sorry for 20 years... And yet they didn't turn to God. And so um, there needs to be a, a physical act involved in repentance. It's the physical act of turning uh, from your idols and turning to God. And I think um, we can only do that when we realize that um, we can't rely on ourselves and that we only need to rely on God. Um, so I think we do need to be humble because it's quite humbling to recognize how weak we are um, and how much we need God and not ourselves. Is that helpful? So. Yeah, no, that sounds brilliant. Brilliant. Um, so then uh, we've got a, a few kind of related to the theme of idolatry. So, uh, well, the, this one first, actually. Why do you think Samuel thought Israel needed Ebenezer, um, not from Dickens, obviously, a physical <laughs> monument rather than just remembering? And I was thinking that in the context of, obviously, the fact that they'd done that a little bit with the Ark in the first place. Mm. Well, I think... It's just quite hard to remember something that you need to remember. So it's, it's quite helpful to have a physical thing that you can re- use to remember something, isn't it? Rather than saying, remember to remember this, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's helpful at all. But I think having something as a physical reminder is really helpful. I find that um, when I'm doing some work, if I write a to-do list and write down what I need to remember to do, that's really helpful to me. Um, and having a, although it's not the same as a monument, but um, having something like that stone of Ebenezer for Israel, would have been helpful to them remembering what God had done in that place uh, for them, rather than just walking through and not actually realising 
what's there or not remembering to remember. Sure. I hope that's helpful. So I suppose I'm going I'm to push that a bit and say, is there ever a time that we could make something that is for us to remember and then actually there's a danger of that becoming more than, or us replacing God with that thing? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, back in, earlier, back in Samuel, um, if you read in chapter 4, I kept referencing it, um, that uh, that's almost kind of, uh, Israel almost ended up mistreating something really important and helpful for the Israelites, like the Ark of God, and thinking that that's going to save them. Not God, the Ark of having that there Mm. as their their good old lucky charm in battle, um, which didn't end up working. They ended up losing a lot of men. Um, So I think it it is quite easy to do that um, and quite easy to turn a physical object um, like that that was meant for good into something less so. Um, So, yeah. That was your question. Yeah. What you said now. Brilliant. Um, Okay, so... uh, Oh, this one's been bumped up quite a lot. Can you expand on what you mean when you say Israel didn't expect God to be merciful? Yes. Um... I think that was when I wrote this now. I think um, what I meant was that um, when we come to God, it's we're, we're touching on the air of using God for our own gain. If we say, right, if I ask God for forgiveness, I'm expecting him to forgive because he doesn't actually have to forgive us. Um, it's his choice. He can choose to be merciful um, and he's well within his right to judge us um, as being sinful. So... Um, it's a humble thing to do to, to go before God and say, please forgive me, but I know that that's your choice. Um, and it's not something that um, we should expect in terms of um, kind of a, a, an exchange of saying, I'll, I'll, I'll just say these words, say the confession, and just expect mm-hmm. forgiveness. So it was more the attitude that they had of, of humbling themselves before God and saying, we, we know we've sinned against you. And so, mm. if it be your will, and if you would, uh, you know, if you can, please do forgive us. But yeah. um, I hope that's helpful. So it's yeah. not a, it's not that exchange of saying, if I if I say these words, God has to forgive mm. me, because He doesn't have to, oh. um, but He chooses to, which is where that idea of mercy and grace comes from. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And ties in a lot with what you're talking about, the wholeheartedness. You know, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, the questions on idolatry. So we've got one: um, How can we spot? We sort of briefly touched on this, but how can we spot an idol in our own lives? Yeah, um, I think definitely be prayerful. Um, maybe ask others who know you well um, as to what they think you're relying on instead of God. Um, I had an illustration that I didn't actually use um, in, the, uh, in my talk, but that might be helpful. So if you think of your life as a Jenga tower um, with everything sort of stacked up together, um, think about what's the bottom block um, that you uh, kind of put everything on. And if that bottom block isn't God, uh, if that bottom block, you remove it and you expect your life to to tumble down, if that bottom block isn't God, then that's an idol that you need to get rid of because that bottom block should be God. That that should be the one thing that you rely on above all else to be the sort of the foundation of Mm. how we live as Christians. Sure. If that's helpful. So what's that bottom block? Again, so what if it's something you can't get rid of, per se? So what if it's something more integral to your life? Like a family member or something like that, that you're, you know, you're you're putting that first. How how do you approach that? Very good question. I think um, uh, it's definitely worth thinking what um, God can give us um, so much, and a, a family member can't. So um, God 
solves our biggest problem of sin, um, and our family can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's more that we want a relationship with um, God, uh, who rescues us, who delivers us, who is merciful to us, who is our Creator and is worthy of our worship. Um, so think about how, um, yeah, think about the ways in which you rely on him more so than your parents or your uncles, your aunts, or your uh, whoever's in your family. Sure. Um, I'm not sure that was a helpful answer. No, it was. Um, and it was a mean question, sorry. You, <laughs> can, see, you can see why we were out there for so long. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, one more then. Uh, because on the theme of idolatry, is this passage talking about the sin of idolatry or sin in general? Is there a difference? Uh, good question. I should have prefaced this, the whole Q&A, but I'm not an expert on this, so I do apologize if I get things wrong. Um, I think the, the one Samuel passage we looked at tonight is talking about Israel's idolatry. So that's what the passage is talking about. But I don't think um, it's too far removed to apply it to our general sin, um, because they're, they're often focused around an idol, whether they're a physical thing we can see or... Um, something like comfort or um, that feeling of being in control uh, where we put ourselves in God's place in our lives rather than um, having him in mm-hmm. the driver's seat, as it were, with him with the crown on his head. Yeah. yeah. Leon, that's so helpful. Thank you.